And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to a brand new post-owners meeting. Head of the pack. I am not in Palm Beach, Florida anymore, unfortunately. I'm in Wilton, Connecticut. Bill is in Detroit, Michigan. Neither of us are in Green Bay. A couple things to talk about. We've obviously covered all the Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams stuff, but some of the comments made by Matt LaFleur, Brian Gutekunst, who spoke at owners' meetings at the Breakers this week were pretty notable. And, and Bill, I want to start with something Matt LaFleur told us over breakfast. Well, we didn't have breakfast at the time, but it was over a breakfast table on Tuesday morning. Very frankly said, we need more speed in our wide receiver room. We need a guy who can take off the top of the defense. Um, what, what'd you take into that or, or what'd you take away from that? Do you think they're going to try and get a Will Fuller or a veteran, or do you think they're going to double up in the draft? Because I tend to think the latter. Yeah. I just don't think there's any money, Matt, to go get a, a veteran. I realize they have $15 million of cap space, but once you sign your draft picks and you have two first runners, that's expensive. Um, you, you need money for in-season stuff. You know, so I, I don't think there's a whole lot of money to get a veteran. And plus, Will Fuller is hurt. He's probably hurt right now. You know, he's probably training and got hurt, got hurt having breakfast. I mean, guys always hurt. So I, it was interesting though. Does that mean that they're going to covet Chris Olave in the draft rather than Traylon Burks? I thought that's what was interesting. I mean, you could get the fast guy, I suppose, like MBS in the fifth round, but I took it to mean if you're going to get a receiver, you might as well get a fast guy and then mean. Chris Olave, Christian Watson from North Dakota State, those kind of guys. That's what I took. How about you? Every mock draft simulation I do on PFF has Chris Olave gone by the time pick 22 comes around. <laughs> I mean, you, you got to think it's him or, like you said, Christian Watson from North Dakota State who ran a 4-3-6. Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama uh, is another big play guy. Not as fast in terms of 40-yard dash time, but... Um, you're right. Burks is more of uh, a gadget piece who can break plays loose, not really a guy who can take the top off of the defense. But the two names that came to mind when Matt LaFleur said that for me were Chris Olave and Jamison Williams. Now, I know Williams uh, tore his ACL at the beginning of the year and won't be ready for the start of the season, most likely. But if he can get back to full health by like the first quarter week six, if he's there and Chris Olave is not, I think you got to take Jamison Williams because that kid is a stud. Um, our, our draft guy, Dane Brugler said, you know, some teams have him as their number one wide receiver. He'd be the unquestioned number one wide receiver in this class. If not for his injury, mm-hmm. if he falls all the way to 22, or if you even have to trade up a little bit to get to him, I think you got to do it. The question is, 
with how much value these rookie contracts will have given the Packers cap situation for the next couple of years, will they, you know, get rid of, I don't know, a second round pick? It would probably take, according to the Jimmy Johnson trade chart, number 22 and number 59 to move up seven or eight spots in the, in the first round from 22 to 14 or 15. So, um, Will the Packers do that, given their other needs at offensive tackle? You know, safety maybe, if they don't exercise the fifth-year option on Savage. Um, who knows, tight end if they get someone. Uh, defensive line, obviously. Like, the Packers have plenty of needs, as as does every team. I just don't know if Brian Gutekunst will be willing to give up another premium pick to, to move up for a wide receiver when supposedly this draft is is top heavy in them or not, not I shouldn't say top heavy but has a lot of good ones that are that are worthy of first and second round selection yeah that's a great point but you're right they they do have a lot of ammo and I realize giving up a second rounder isn't ideal when you do have some needs and in cap issues and in the need for, for cheap players but you could you could sacrifice a second rounder I mean heck you could if, if Williams gets to 15, you get, do you give up a third, third and one, one of your fourths? I mean, they, they've got, because they do have the extra fourth and the, and the extra second, they have, they got a lot of flexibility there. I mean, you, you look at Williamson's, or Williamson, Williams game log from Alabama. My God, he's got four touchdowns of like 75 plus yards. It's absurd. Yeah, he's ridiculous. And, I mean, and that's SEC football. That's not. No, no offense to Christian Watson, who's playing a bunch of tomato cans. I mean, I think he's going to be a really, really good player. But this is the SEC. That's real stuff. I would have loved to have seen when that guy would have run. But he's, you know, he's 6'1", and, 6'1 plus. So he's got some speed. I mean, he, he, he answers everything you'd, you'd want. So yeah, I would, I would think he, he'd be worth going, gonna go, worth going to go get. Easy for me to say. Um, because you, you've got the extra ammo to go do it. If you, if you get up with a second rounder, hey, you, you still have a second. So you're, you're, it's not like you're going to have that gigantic void in the draft where you have to go sit out. they got plenty of picks. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, we'll never know what Goody and his staff truly think because, you know, draft time is so much smokescreen action. And, you know, I saw this on Twitter the other day. Remember when Jair, I wasn't covering the team at the time, but Jair Alexander said, you know, he had no communication with the Packers in the pre-draft process. Like everyone's tweeting out all this interest and this buzz and these visits and like nobody knows what the hell is going to happen. Right. Nobody knows who. And I say that because, you know, Jamison Williams and Chris Olave could look good to us, but has there been a play or a series of plays that Brian Gutekunst was completely turned off by and says, nope. We're not we're not trading up for that guy, so you never know, um, and they're never going to really tell you the truth because then it would maybe incentivize another team to take them. Right, you know, with that ACL, in everyone's different. I get it, but when you lose David Bakhtiari for a year, when you kind of figure he's going to be back in midseason, and he never really gets back, are you a little bit leery of using a first and maybe a second rounder or whatever or whatever it is? To go get a guy who, hey, it looks like he's on schedule. Look, we were we were there for minicamp at in June last year, and there's Bakhtiari doing all these things. My God, this guy's going to be ready for day one. So you never know. So you wonder if there's some 
ACL hangover there too, if it, if it comes to it. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is Bakhtiari's stature. Um, yeah, Jameson Williams is obviously not built like David Bakhtiari. Right. That'd be fascinating if he could still run that fast, and and he was, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think the wide receiver picture is going to be fascinating. I have a a seven round mock draft and I'm going to try and make it my only mock draft. Uh, this pre-draft process coming out tomorrow. I did it on PFF and I took Devontae Wyatt at 20. I didn't make any trades just because my head would be spinning too much. I took Devontae Wyatt at 22 because Olave and Williams were both gone. Burks was available at 22. But although the Packers need at wide receiver is like the trendy need, I still think defensive line is is perhaps a bigger need. Their D-line was so bad last season. Um, they were horrific against the run. And getting a guy like Devontae Wyatt to put it beside Kenny Clark, you know, him and Jordan Davis from the same defensive line are the two best defensive linemen uh, interior defensive lineman, I should say, in this draft. So uh, I took Devontae Wyatt, and then I took Christian Watson at 28, <laughs> Jalen Tolbert at 53 from South Alabama, and then Darian Kinnard at 59, who's the unanimous All-American right tackle from Kentucky. And I think offensive tackle is an underrated need in this draft, Sure, Elton Jenkins could play right tackle when he's healthy. But like we just talked about, who knows when an offensive lineman is going to come back from a major knee injury. Um, And we don't know if Yash Nyman can play right tackle. We know he can play left tackle, but we've heard guys talk about that switch across the line is not as easy as, you know, some people might make it seem. And and nobody loves tackle depth more more than the Green Bay Packers. So I could see them... Uh, taking an offensive tackle early and and having him in contention to start. It's funny. I did a mock draft on Saturday, Matt. First, number twenty two, Devontae Wyatt. Number twenty eight, Christian Watson. There you go. Which just means it's not going to happen. Exactly. You know the interesting thing. If you look, I mean, who knows? I don't think Wyatt will be there at twenty two. But who you know, who knows? But whatever. If you took Wyatt at twenty two, now you can probably release Dean Lowry. And, and create some cap space, right? Because but c- you've got. Can you though? Like, is is Jaron Reed ready to be that third guy on the defensive line? Yeah, I mean, he started all thirty three games the last two years. I mean, you got Clark. You'd have Clark. You'd have Wyatt. You'd have Reed, and TJ Slayton is your top four, right? I mean, Clark. I mean, Clark and Reed have started a, a million games in the league. So you could do that, and you're gambling that T.J. Slayton in 15 snaps a game, who was pretty decent, takes the year two jump. Why does a unbelievable freak? I, mean, I don't know, but look, we're all spitballing, right? I, I was just giggling because I did the same thing. <laughs> same, my, my first two picks are the same as yours, and then I took uh, a Colorado State tight end, Trey McBride in the second round, Washington State offensive tackle, Abraham Lucas in the second round. So we were kind of thinking along the same lines mm-hmm. on a lot of those things. I was talking to Nate Taylor, who's our Chiefs beat writer in Palm Beach this week, and and I asked him about Jaron Reed, and he said, he's just a guy. And that made me think, like, Tyler Lancaster was just a guy. Dean Lowry, 
at times the past couple seasons has been just a guy. Like that's the problem with the Packers defensive line is besides Kenny Clark, they just have guys. Like they don't yeah. have studs, and that's why I'm hesitant to cut Dean Lowry because although it would obviously free up cap space, you know he was pretty good at least mm-hmm. batting down passes at the line of scrimmage. And if Jaron Reed's just a guy, you know, the Packers' number three the past couple of years has been, you know, Kingsley Kiki, Tyler Lancaster. They were the epitome of guys. They just, they didn't really do anything. So if Reed is just a guy, I'm hesitant to make him that number three because, you know, we've seen how unproductive those guys can be. You know, just stick him in there. That's why the Packers' D line hasn't been very good. Um, Dean Lowry can be more than a guy, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I think the wide receiver picture, I think if they don't get anyone in free agency, whether that's Fuller, Beckham, I don't see them getting Jarvis Landry because they already have two slot guys in Cobb and, exactly. and Amari Rogers. Um, so Fuller and Beckham would be, speaking of ACLs, uh, would be the two guys I could see them most interested in. Um but we'll see. It'll be fascinating to see how they address the position. Mark Murphy told Larry McCarron that like this draft is going to be really interesting. Brian Gutekunst said we're not afraid to double up at a position. LaFleur was obviously more direct with their need uh, at the wide receiver position. So it'll be fascinating. And all that being said, that just means they're going to take an offensive tackle and a safety with their two first-round picks. Can you imagine how much Twitter would blow up if that happened? Oh, that way, that'd be amazing. As long as that safety is Daxton Hill from Michigan, that'd be okay because you can stick him in a slot. You'd be happy as can be. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're going to draft the receiver. I, I just... Well, it was... They're going to draft the receiver. They're going to... There's a there's a 95% chance. I, I just can't imagine that you've, you're going... You're trying to run it back, which is a, such a stupid phrase. What, what are you running back? You haven't done anything. They're but, running back a playoff loss. Yes, that's great. Good for them. Uh, so, I mean, you, you're just you, – you can't give Aaron Rodgers $50 million a year and say, hey, here's Alan Lazard, <clears throat> Randall Cobb, and Jawan Winfrey. Have, go get them. Yeah, Jawan Winfrey no, played significantly more offensive snaps than Amari Rodgers last year. So right, he, he fumbled twice. He's your wide receiver three. I thought this was an interesting quote, and I'm not saying this is, oh, he's he, it's a slip. He, he's giving away their plans. It's just – more an indication of the thinking of what they're going to do. Matt LaFleur, when asked about um, kind of young receivers getting up to speed in an Aaron Rodgers-Matt LaFleur offense, if they draft one early, LaFleur said, we're going to have to integrate these guys pretty quickly, as if they're already on the team. <laughs> like, he didn't say, if we draft one, we'd have to integrate. Like, we're going to have to integrate these guys. Like, we're going to draft one. We're going to have to integrate these guys pretty quickly. And he said it's going to be a lot of work for a guy like Jason Vrabel, their uh, wide receivers coach, and really everybody on our offense to get anybody up to speed, especially when you're talking about playing with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who you better be on high alert with at all times because he might give you the most subtle signal, and you've got to see that. So if you needed any other indication that the Packers are drafting a wide receiver in the first two rounds, I know everyone wants it in the first round, and I still think it will be if I had to put my money on it. I'm not a betting man, but if I was. um, Really? Just kidding. But it'll happen in the first two rounds, I think. 
I'm adding I think after everything because I said Devontae Adams wouldn't get traded, and then we saw what happened. Yeah, but this is a slam dunk, though. I mean, mm. It is because your, your number three receiver is Jawan Winfrey or Malik Taylor. There, there's no way in hell that's going to be the case. I know. So, yes, they're going to draft receivers early and often. They have no choice, right? Because Randall Cobb and Amari Rodgers are both slots. So it's, it's not like you can line up a bunch of times with with with, with uh, Lazard, Cobb, and Rodgers. I mean, you can't really go that way. No, you cannot. So it'll, it'll be, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a first first round receiver. I, I feel I feel pretty good about that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's get to some questions since we had plenty. Actually, let's touch on a couple other things that that we took away from owners' meetings. Uh, A couple notables from Brian Gutekunst. He said Robert Tunyon's doing great in his rehab. Who knows what that means? Matt LaFleur said Tunyon was in, was in his office the other day. I don't know when he'll be ready. It's been about five months since he tore that ACL on October 24th, I believe it was, against the Cardinals late in the fourth quarter. Ten months minimum. So that would put him at August 24th. It's pretty close to the season, so he... If, the, if he's cleared by then, he's going to need a couple weeks to get back up to speed. So I would expect him to be ready in, sometime in the first quarter of the season. Um, that's why I like your Trey McBride pick. And I have uh, Calcaterra, the tight end from SMU, who transferred from Oklahoma uh, as, I, I believe it was the Packers' fourth-round pick. But you need a pass-catching tight end. We've talked about it a couple times on here before. Mercedes Lewis, Dominique Daphne, and Josiah DeGuara, and Tyler Davis, for that matter, are not pass-catching tight ends, and the Packers severely lacked one. And I'm not saying getting a pass-catching tight end is as important as getting a wide receiver, but it's a pass-catcher, and we saw how prominent a pass-catching tight end 
was in that offense in 2020. Not so much beginning of 2021, but, you know, getting a healthy Tunyon and perhaps even another pass-catching tight end um, is very important. So that Tunyon return timetable will be interesting. Nothing really surprising from Gutekunst on the Devontae Adams trade front, um, nor anything surprising on the Aaron Rodgers extension front. He was very firm about the fact that they signed Pat O'Donnell because he can hold and Corey Bajorquez cannot. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good line. Good heavens. What a... Um, I thought the best line, and of course you, you were there for it, was LaFleur on Bisaccio. Yes. Oh, I don't know if you can relay, kind of paraphrase. Yeah, it was funny because I asked LaFleur, um, I think the way I phrased the question was, you know, I'm not saying Sean and Mo, as in Sean Meninga and Mo Drayton, didn't have say over personnel, but are you kind of handing over the reins to the operation to Rich? Because we've seen guys like Keyshawn Nixon get signed. He was a Rich Bisaccia staple on special teams for the last three seasons in Oakland slash Las Vegas. And I'm pulling up the exact quote. And LaFleur kind of started his answer. Uh, it was, you know, cliche. Rich is going to be involved, whatever. And then he said, have you guys met Rich Bisaccia yet? And we said no. I mean, I've met him before because I covered him with the Raiders, but not since he's been uh, the Packers special teams coordinator. And then LaFleur said, well, just wait. Buckle up, baby. Buckle up. Buckle up. God damn, he is a fiery dude now. <laughs> so I'm I'm looking forward to meeting him. We were told that he will be speaking publicly for the first time since getting the job next week. I'm looking forward to it. And I think, you know, the more input Basaccia has on special teams, the better. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, they, they, they've got to get better in the, in the Keyshawn Nixon Signing like like you just said it is the perfect indication of it. You've got you've got to get guys here who've been there and done that. And it's not Joe Rookie who's been hasn't played special teams since his freshman year of college. Um, you got to get a guy who's done it. I think Nixon had nine tackles as a rookie with the Raiders on special teams. Those are the kind of guys you need. And Potano can hold. That's great. You can get a long if you can go scout some long snappers who can block. That probably would be handy. You know. You know, there's a reason why Henry Black's not here because of the punt against the Niners. I think I think those are the kind of transactions that he's got to have a say in. And you know, look at those, you know, player 50, 51, 52, those kind of guys in a roster and say, hey, what do you think of this guy? Can he be a core guy? Can this guy be a core guy? And if he's not, move on. Move on with someone else. I agree. All right, let's get to some questions from Steve Heilmeyer. Do you make anything of Mark Murphy's comment to Larry McCarron, the one I, I mentioned earlier this week, of I'll just say the draft is going to be very interesting. I think we can really help ourselves. No, I don't make too much of that. Mark Murphy doesn't know who they're drafting yet, I don't think. Um, every draft is interesting, and the Packers can help themselves in every draft. So it's just a, yeah. state, it's, it's a statement of fact. Yes, it is, because... You know, I should go look sometime. I can't remember the last time they had two firsts and two seconds. This might be, hell, this might be the first time ever. This is, they, they've got a lot of draft capital. I, I looked it up on over the cap. And if you just look at the rookie pool numbers, which are slotted, you know, and the pick one gets this amount. So it's kind of slotted. The Packers have the sixth most draft capital, which is pretty damn good when you're picking 22nd and 28th. So they, they, they have a real opportunity, like, like Mark said, to, to really improve. 
Yes. All right, from Nick. With Jones, Dylan, Hill, and a solid OL returning, do you think the Packers actually make more of an effort to run next year, especially in the playoffs? I think naturally there's going to be more running because you don't have Devontae Adams, you don't have Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They're going to pass because they have Aaron Rodgers, but like we've talked about on here before, I don't think the identity of this team is going to be you know, let's win games throwing the ball. I think it's going to be more of control the clock, run the ball, stop people on defense, like the 49ers method the last couple of years. You know, a pedestrian passing game. I'm not saying the Packers passing game is going to be pedestrian because if you have Aaron Rodgers, it's most likely not going to be, but you have a really good running game, a really good O-line, and a really good defense. I could see their identity changing a little bit, and certainly with Jones and Dylan specifically, who knows how Hill's going to come back from that ACL, and the O-line that they have, I, I could definitely see the Packers kind of pounding the ball more than in years past. Yeah, and they're going to have no choice, right? I mean, right. unless you unless you get, I will say lucky, but fortunate to draft Justin Jefferson 2.0, which is, look, everyone is talking about this rookie receiver. I mean, the, the history, of, and, and LaFleur said this to you guys in Florida, rookie receivers generally don't do a whole lot. And Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase are, are the exceptions and not the rules, and Chase being the fourth pick of that draft is makes that conversation relevant. The, the Justin Jeffersons being picked at 22 or thereabouts just don't come around. So you're going to have to run the football and ease that guy into things. And that's the strength of your team right now is Jones and Dylan. Yep. All right. Next. From Cathal 41. Is there an optics issue if the Packers trade for a wide receiver? If they give up more than a second-round pick, will that player always be compared to Adams? I it, That's unfair to do that. Uh, you know, Brian Gutekunst said it this week. We're not replacing Devontae Adams with one guy. It's going to be a collective effort, and it's probably not even going to be just the wide receivers. Like, they have to compensate for the loss of Adams with the run game, with the defense, with a couple guys they bring in at wide receiver. And even MVS, that's not someone you can just replace right away either. Um We'll see if they trade for a guy. I would be surprised if they trade for a guy like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Um, who else is out there that could be traded? Devontae Parker from Miami. Devontae Parker from Miami. There's one more that I'm forgetting right now. Michael Thomas. Probably not. You know, I, I don't believe his contract is is fit to be traded. Um, so I think it'll be rookies, as we've talked about, mainly. Um, and nobody's going to compare those guys to Devontae Adams. Everyone knows how Devontae started his career. It's unfair to uh, compare any new guy to arguably the best receiver in the league right away. Yeah, you know, there's a couple of questions about that. Uh, the notorious PWB, why not Michael Thomas? Carl Muffins Tops are hot. Wants to know, <laughs> do you think that we have the cap space draft capital to trade for a top receiver? No, no, they don't. There's no, there's not the money to to make a big splash. But, you know, Devontae Parker, I guess, isn't making a ton of money, so I guess maybe that one. But you know, if you trade for Metcalf, he's he's coming up on his contract here. You have to pay that guy. You know, Tyler Lockett is two years into an extension. He's got a monster kind. They just can't afford mm -hmm. any more gigantic contracts right now. So it's going to be a bargain signing, or more likely, like you just said, draft picks and lots of them. 
And you, you make it up with, with throwing in Robert Tunyon some more. You put Aaron Jones out there at receiver some more. They'll figure out some ways. It won't be nearly as good as Adams, but they'll figure out some stuff. From David Cromolo, how possible is it that the Packers draft two wide receivers in the first round alone? It's possible. I don't think it's going to happen, though. Let's let's start with one receiver in the first round for the first time in 20 years. Then we can start thinking about two. I would be surprised if they did that. You know, they've got pressing needs that, as we've talked about, defensive line. They could even go for a linebacker if a guy like Devin Lloyd is available uh, to pair with Devondre Campbell because we've, we've seen what um, – Guys like Levante David and Devin White can do. You know, two inside linebackers is better than one. Um, a tight end, maybe, if they want to have two pass-catching tight ends. An offensive tackle, if they feel Elton Jenkins may not be ready till midway through the season. Like, I doubt they go two wide receivers in the first round just because of the needs they have. But then again, uh, I would not be stunned by anything, I would be surprised. I wouldn't be stunned. No, outside linebacker, too. I mean, that uh, seems to be a pretty big need. They drafted, or when, when they signed Zedarius and Preston, they drafted Rashawn Gary. So that shows how much they value having three at that spot. Mm-hmm. And goodness knows they needed a third guy last year because Tipa and company not, not nearly good enough. No, Tipa and Jonathan Garvin are not suitable to be that third inside linebacker. All right, from Matt Schultz. It seemed like cutting Billy Turner did not save that much cap. It was a little over $3 million, I believe. Don't you feel like right tackle is on the roster already? Yeah, I mean, Billy Turner played really well at right tackle before his injury in Week 14 against the Bears last season. That knee sprain, I believe it was. Um, he was never put on IR, so I guess we don't really know. But um, like we said, I think... Right now, it's Yash Nyman to start the season, I would imagine. And I think it would be Elton Jenkins when he returns to full health. When that will be, we don't know. But like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if they drafted an offensive tackle early to compete with Nyman. Because you got to protect Aaron Rodgers' strong side. You just have to. You have to keep him healthy. If you're going to pay him that much, you got to keep him healthy. Offensive tackle It's a very important investment as well. Not as important as your franchise quarterback, but... You get what I'm saying. Um, so I don't know if the starting right tackle is on the roster now. And I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they added to that starting competition there. Yeah, I thought that quote from Goody about Yash was really, really good. I'm not sure who asked him that question um, about Nyman last year. And he he said that he, he really stepped and then... Gudikins blamed himself for not giving him opportunities to do it in the past and how they'd always brought in a veteran tackle to not really to kind of get in Yasha's way. And when Nyman was forced to play, he really stepped up. So Gudikins, I thought that was a kind of interesting quote where maybe he is the guy. Maybe he showed enough to, to Gudikins and, and LaFleur last year to, to take the first swing at right tackle. So that, that, I thought that was a really interesting quote. Yeah, I agree. And Dennis Kelly's always out there too if you want to get a cheap veteran in here. And you know and he struggled in the, against the Niners in that playoff game. But those first few games without Turner, I thought he was pretty dang good. Yeah, for the most part, he was. We'll see if he's a late, you know, late summer addition here. Right. 
it's one of those things you probably wait till after the draft is over. Oh crap, we didn't get a guy that we wanted. Let's go revisit. Agreed. From Crit Lakia, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Any news or thoughts on a Jair extension? Gudekun said he would love to get it done before the season. Um, I know the two sides have been in talks very recently. Um, Jair's camp wants Jair to be the highest paid cornerback in NFL history, which I don't blame them for. So we'll see. I think it gets done eventually. Remember, you know, when they extended Kenny Clark, it was right before training camp a couple years ago. I think they will find a way to extend him. It's going to cost a lot of money, over $20 million per year in terms of average annual salary, but I think it ultimately gets done. Yeah, they've got no choice. You've got to to pony up for the, the best, arguably the best guy in the league. And it's going to mean if Jalen Ramsey's $20 million, there's no way on earth, if I'm John Thornton, who's Jair's agent, there's no way on earth I'm settling for less than that. That'd be foolishness. Correct. Um, it's, it's a lot of money they're going to have. I mean, their salary structure is already so top-heavy with all those huge contract guys. But at least in the short run, you get them off that $13 million option, you save some money. So you're going to have to pay for it at some point, but it makes a lot of sense to get that done here. Agreed. And he's a slot, right? I know he was. I know Lafleur's talked asked about that at the, at the meetings, Matt. But he's he's going in the slot, isn't he? I mean, there's just no way around it, right? I would imagine. You know, Goody talked a lot about Jair's versatility, how he can really do anything. Um, he talked about how Rasul is physically built for the slot, but I still think it's Jair. I know we saw him kind of practicing there at the end of last season. Um, I think it'll be him. Yeah, as as dominant of an outside corner as he is, you can really move him around and follow guys from that slot, and maybe we see him in more of a shadow role uh, rather than just stick on the outside this season. Yeah, you know, he did play a decent amount of slot as a rookie. I looked up at Pro Football Focus the other day. Rasul Douglas and Eric Stokes, they combined eight snaps in the slot last year. Four yeah. apiece. So maybe they... I'm not buying Rasul Douglas as an option unless... You got Jair following receiver one on the perimeter, and you need to go to the exactly. slot with somebody. Maybe uh, they re-sign Kevin King and put him in the slot. Um, Just kidding. Probably not a good idea. Yeah, probably Can you not. imagine? Can you imagine the outrage among the people if they gave him like another $5 million? My God. Jesus. That would be funny. <laughs> you got any other good questions that stuck out to you? We've got some fun ones. All right, let's see. Um, can Elton Jenkins snap? Hell, can he snap it to himself and kick it too? I'm Aaron Rodgers' man bun. That's actually very funny. He probably could. He probably could. Here's a, you, you, you're a soccer fan, right? Yes. Will the international friendly soccer games become a mainstay of Lambeau programming? I hope so. I would so. love that. So many man buns to see out there. Once again, from Aaron Rodgers' man bun. I hope so. You're going? Oh yeah, I'm definitely gonna go. The week it's the week before training camp starts. I'm right. definitely gonna go. So is that like a preseason game? Yeah, it's like an international. How does that work? It's an international okay. friendly. Now Bayern Munich and Man City, the two teams that are playing, are probably the two best club teams in the world. Like those are elite, elite teams, best of the best. I think Man City's best team in the world. Bayern might be number two. Um, 
but I wonder how many of their actual players are going to play. The World Cup is this winter. Uh, the you know Premier League season starts in the fall. So I don't know if they're just going to have scrubs playing or some of the main guys will play. Either way, they're really good soccer players, but um, I, I hope it's a mainstay. It's going to be really cool. I'm really looking forward to it. So it might be like when the Packers went to Winnipeg. It really spoiled the Canadian fans with that. Right, exactly. All those high profile players. Okay. With fewer um, fewer torn ACLs, uh, actual grass on the field, and a lot more entertainment. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. I'm not a soccer fan, but that is pretty cool. And will it become a mainstay? <laughs> yeah, I don't I mean, who knows, but I know Murphy's talked for years about getting one event per year in Lambeau Field. Whether that's a, a big concert or something like this, he wants one big thing a year. So a mainstay, probably not, but um, I could see it on a semi-annual basis. You know, every few years try to try to accomplish something like that. Cecilia J. Bugface, who are you most looking forward to talking to now that the locker room is opening back up? That's a great question. And I have a very, very easy answer. It's Jair Alexander. I think, you know, in my first year covering the team in 2019, I would talk to him without a recorder most days, not even interviewing him, just, you know, shooting the stuff. He's a really funny guy. He's, you know, a lot better. I, I don't want to say a lot better, but a lot more relaxed when there's not light shining in his face. Um, I'm looking forward to chatting it up with him. Rogers often hangs around after the group scrums around his locker just to shoot the shit with some of us. It's, it's, it's going to be weird because Devontae would obviously be one of those guys. I was thinking, Bill, how many guys in that locker room have been there for an open locker room with like the current crowd of, right? of beat writers? Like Bakhtiari, yes. Runyon, no. Josh Myers, no. Royce Newman, no. Yash, we didn't really talk to him in 19. AJ Dillon, no. Uh, Lazard, yes. Aaron Jones, yes. But like Devondre Campbell, no. Rasul Douglas, no. Eric Stokes, no. Savage and Amos, yes. Kenny Clark, yes. But my point is, there are plenty of guys who haven't seen an open locker room in their lives because they don't do those in college. So AJ Dillon's going to be like, what the hell is everyone doing in here? Probably won't because he's a nice guy, but you know what I'm it. saying. Um, It'll be fun. I know the players don't really like it, but it, you know, in in all seriousness, um, it leads to better content, more insightful conversations, better connections, which ultimately leads to better uh, writing and content for the readers. Yeah, um, and it's no offense to the TV people. I I don't mean it to be offensive to them, but when the TV cameras go away, the answers get a lot better. Correct. And it's just it's just human nature to speak more casually to a person holding a recorder and just kind of casual rather than have five cameras and the lights in their face. You, you just get better stuff. You get better answers. You get to know people some more. And gosh, man, how many people did we talk to last year? I mean, really, I mean, it was Rogers. And I mean, we had a rotation of like five or six guys, basically. We, we did. We, listen, we... Didn't talk to Zadarius Smith once last year. Right. If the locker room was open, the first day he missed training camp with that mysterious back injury, we would have hopefully gotten an answer from him. You know, 
We didn't talk to him at all last year. We didn't know what the deal was with his back, where he was, why he was upset about the, or I, I guess we knew why he was, but, you know, he was upset about not being named a captain. That's the kind of stuff that Open Locker Room provides, like the, the stories behind the cryptic tweets and the stories behind the press releases and the stories behind the news and stuff like that. Even if it's not cameras in your face, whether it's me, you, Rob, uh, whoever else, talking to these guys just off to the side for five minutes can result in some really good content and, and answers that the people deserve and the people will enjoy. Like sometimes it's the PR PR staff. I think did a good job of getting us guys last year, but let's say it's like after a game like Arizona, when Rasul Douglas has the walk off interception. I wrote my Rasul Douglas was brought to a podium and we wrote a story. There wasn't a lot of color there because we're just standing in a press conference room at a podium. Normally, we're in the locker room right when the celebration's going on. I heard a massive celebration going on next door and wrote a little bit about that scene, but you can't really be in the locker room. If you're in the locker room, it's Jair Alexander was holding a boombox on his shoulder and Kenny Clark was doing the worm on the floor and Aaron Rodgers was lifting Rasul Douglas up on his shoulders. Like, I'm not saying any of those happened, but the point is, you got the color and the detail and like the actual moments of the team are brought to life. And that's what our job is, taking you behind the scenes. And we were not able to take you behind the scenes for the last two years. So that's what I'm looking forward to most. Not just being in the locker room, being around players, but you know, getting those details and those small, minute uh, intricacies of how the team works, the mood that you guys will enjoy. Yep. Just... uh I'll, I'll be the cynic here and say, you know, COVID can come back at any time. And yeah, yeah, it could. With the kibosh and everything. I still think we'll never go back in there. I've, I said that since day one that it's it's so convenient. In the Zedaria Smith story is the perfect example of the team can totally control the narrative. There's a big story with Zedaria Smith. We're not going to let you sh- We're not going to let you tell it because we're, we're not going to let him talk to you guys. And I just think that if there's any hint of COVID coming back, I think they'll shut it down in a hurry. Right. I, hopefully I th- I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. And hopefully we're past this because viruses tend to get less and less. Um, damaging is not the less and less impactful the longer they exist. But I'm still cynical on this, Matt, that this is actually going to happen. But we'll see. I think the encouraging part is that, you know, in the past, it's been up to the teams to to determine whether locker rooms are open or not. You know, Brian McCarthy, the head spokesman for the NFL, said, yep, you guys are going in locker rooms. So I don't know if that's, uh, all right, we're leaving it up to the teams or the NFL's like, yep, you got to let reporters in locker rooms. So I'm encouraged. You're not going to rain on my parade. We're ending the podcast with you being negative, Bill. Thank you for listening. <laughs> we'll catch you guys next time. How about that for an end?